Welcome to the Protoss Podcast. Today's date is Friday the 10th of September and you're listening to a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the past week as reported by us. This week we've got a mystery claimant to the Satoshi Nakamoto name who hopes to derail Craig Wright's white paper claims. Coinbase is pleading unfair treatment from the Securities Exchange Commission as it looks to kickstart its new lending service. And the founder of female-focused exchange Bitcoin Babe says she's the victim of a debanking campaign in Australia. But first... We started the week with the news that Ontario's securities watchdog is banning crypto platforms operating within the region from touching Tether. The Ontario Securities Commission, or OSC, regulates investments across Canada's largest jurisdiction. And late last month, it drew up a list of prohibited crypto assets. That list was admittedly rather short. In fact, it wasn't really a list at all, since there was just the one banned cryptocurrency, USDT. On the other hand, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ether and Litecoin have all been given a pass by the OSC to keep trading. While Tether's ousting might seem insignificant at first, the currency does maintain a number of links to Ontario. That means it's actually pretty noteworthy. First off, sister companies Bitfinex and Tether maintain compliance teams almost exclusively run by Ontario-based lawyers and former regulators. In fact, their general counsellor, Stuart Hogner, has been practising out of Ontario for over a decade. Then there's Bitfinex Chief Compliance Officer Peter Warwick, who boasts a long employment history at Canada's largest bank, the Royal Bank of Canada. Warwick also serves as a Senior Manager of Intelligence at the Royal Bank, whilst also working as Director of Anti-Money Laundering Advisory at the Bank of Montreal, also headquartered in Ontario. But that's not all. Tether's Chief Compliance Officer, Leonardo Real, also worked at the Bank of Montreal before moving into the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Now, a few factors likely led to the securities watchdog banning Tether. Firstly, regulators might have finally got to grips with Tether after it used the Bank of Montreal as a reserve for its controversial asset portfolio. Second, the Ontario securities watchdog probably perceives Tether as an unregistered security and so may want to hinder USD trade until proper precautions are in place. It's important to note, however, that as far as anyone is aware, the OSC has not pushed for any further punishment of Tether. The OSC boasts powers including enforcement actions and fines, as well as the ability to influence the region's finance minister into reviewing crypto assets. Meanwhile, the usually boisterous and defensive stablecoin has opted to keep shtum on its run-in with the OSC. It's worked to keep the makeup of its now $67 billion reserves on the down-low, particularly where journalists are concerned. We reached out to the OSC to learn more about Tether's ban. A spokesperson directed us to two communications from March. One was the Canadian Securities Administrator's Guidance for Crypto Asset Trading Platforms, which details standards that local crypto platforms must adhere to regarding security tokens and crypto derivatives. The second was an OSC press release titled OSC Working to Ensure Crypto Asset Trading Platforms Comply with Securities Law. Within it, OSC Chief Grant Vingo states, quote, unregistered crypto asset trading platforms expose Ontario investors to significant risks, including potential loss, theft and misuse of their assets. The recent explosion of unregistered platforms has magnified these risks. Regulatory oversight serves as a critical role in investment. Protection. 
and we expect platforms to act swiftly to bring themselves into compliance with Ontario securities law. End quote. Both documents suggest the OSC could indeed view USDT as a security. However, the spokesperson stopped short of confirming if that were the case. Over in the US, Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler hinted in July that stablecoins backed by securities, which describes USDT, could fall under the SEC's jurisdiction. The battle for the Bitcoin white paper took a fresh twist this week when someone claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto reportedly made a legal play for the educational portal Bitcoin.org. Back in July, self-proclaimed Bitcoin creator Craig Wright won a default judgment in London's High Court that ordered the pseudonymous owner of Bitcoin.org named Cobra to cease serving the document to the UK. But on Monday, Cobra revealed via Twitter that the court set a date to hear an appeal against the judgment. The person behind the appeal is unknown, but they are claiming to be Bitcoin's Nakamoto, who disappeared way back in 2011. Wright began copyright proceedings against Cobra in February, shortly after he threatened to sue anyone hosting the Bitcoin white paper without his permission. This is despite Nakamoto originally sharing the document under the permissive MIT software license, which allows anyone to freely use, modify, copy, distribute and publish it. Since Cobra does not reside in the UK and has repeatedly refused to reveal their identity, Wright was forced to serve the lawsuit via email. And although Cobra initially claimed that they were happy to continue fighting the litigation-happy Australian businessmen, they failed to respond within the set 22-day window, handing a default win to Wright. But it's worth noting that despite Wright's legal victory, he is still yet to produce any concrete proof that he's the one and only Satoshi. Wright maintained he'd penned the 2008 white paper since Wired magazine first floated his claim to the Satoshi moniker in 2015. Most industry insiders will agree that Wright only has to sign a transaction using a private key associated with any block known to have been mined by Bitcoin's creator in its early years. He can do that or instead just move any of that early Bitcoin, but he's so far done neither. Because of the judgment, Cobra's Bitcoin.org must refrain from serving the Bitcoin white paper to the UK, although Protoss has previously reported that well over 100 websites still host it. Not to mention, the cryptocurrency Open Patent Alliance, which is led by Jack Dorsey's Square, filed a lawsuit in April, which demanded that Wright proves he's Satoshi in a bid to settle the matter once and for all. On Wednesday, Coinbase Chief Executive Ryan Armstrong accused the US Securities Exchange Commission of intimidation after the watchdog threatened to sue the crypto platform over its proposed lending account. Armstrong made the comments via Twitter after the SEC summoned Coinbase for more information regarding its new yield-bearing product, Lend. Since Lend was announced in June, the SEC has been on its tail investigating the service, which Coinbase says will allow users to earn up to 4% annual interest on certain cryptocurrencies. Unfortunately for the Delaware headquartered exchange, the SEC says that the service involves a security. And so the SEC sent Coinbase a Wells notice last Wednesday. This notice is the SEC's way of notifying entities it intends to start legal proceedings. The Commission does this when it finds a business is in violation of securities laws after an investigation. In recent years, the regulator has sent Wells notices to the likes of S&P Dow Jones Indices, General Electric and sports brand Under Armour. 
But the bald king isn't pleased, according to Armstrong. Coinbase has operated strictly by the book, and it's actually the SEC that needs to be more specific if it wants crypto firms to stick to the rules. He tweeted, quote, We always make an effort to work proactively with regulators and keep an open mind. Armstrong also says Coinbase has complied when records have been demanded and employee testimonies have been given. However, he says that despite this, no explanation has been given as to why the SEC plans to sue when Lend launches. Armstrong went on to say that Coinbase would be, quote, happy to follow guidance if the SEC wants to publish some, which it has. The company's chief legal officer, Paul Growell, made a similar point in Coinbase's blog, saying, quote, We shared the details of Lend with the SEC after our initial meeting. We answered all of the SEC's questions in writing and then again in person but we didn't get much of a response. The SEC told us that they consider Lend to involve a security, but wouldn't say why or how they'd reached that conclusion. Armstrong tried to make his point in a 21-tweet thread, hinting that the SEC is actually targeting Coinbase unfairly. He said, quote, plenty of other crypto companies continue to offer a lending feature, but Coinbase is somehow not allowed to, end quote. Although it's worth noting that state regulators have recently opened investigations into New Jersey-based crypto lender BlockFi over its BlockFi interest accounts for almost the exact same reason. But regardless of whether the SEC is acting fairly with regards to Lend, Coinbase is undoubtedly hoping to have any confusion cleared up ASAP. Coinbase stock slipped over 2% after news of the possible SEC action broke, and it's still down 40% since its record high set just hours after it went public in April. And lastly, on Thursday, the Sydney Morning Herald reported that Bitcoin babe founder Michaela Jurek had spoken out about a debanking campaign threatening to put her out of business. The 28-year-old chief of the female-focused crypto exchange Bitcoin Babe says 91 banks have blacklisted her since 2015. Jurek also told an Australian Senate committee on Wednesday that she's also experienced bullying tactics from local finance watchdog, the Australian Transaction Report and Analysis Centre. She says it's gotten so bad that banks have even reported her as being like a terrorist on some databases. Jurek said her most recent debanking happened on Tuesday. And it's not just her own personal bank accounts being affected, but her relatives and Bitcoin Babe customers too. She said her family is being affected not because they've had anything to do with Bitcoin, but because it's a matter of guilty by association, whether it be the same last name or same address. The inquiry is considering ways to mend relationships between banks and crypto businesses like Bitcoin Babe in a bid to secure Australia's future as a hub for tech and finance. The committee has heard evidence from Jurek alongside reps from crypto exchange Ausmerchant and Singaporean payment processor Neum. Jurek launched Bitcoin Bay back in 2015 when Bitcoin was worth around $300. But after some initial success, Jurek struggled to maintain a business account with financial institutions. She notes that banks have contacted customers before, alleging Bitcoin Babe is a scam. Despite registering with Oztrack, Jurek said authorities contacted her with all sorts of legal threats, including the closure of Bitcoin Babe. Describing her dealings with Oztrack, she said, quote, I think there's definitely some bullying tactics going on, at least from the small business perspective, as opposed to the large ones. Managing director of crypto exchange Oz Merchants, Mitchell Travers, has reportedly been debanked four times in the past year. He told the inquiry that banks are looking to mitigate potential future competition. According to Travers, Oz Merchants are considering taking their banking offshore.
In an inquiry submission, Australia's largest bank, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, voiced concerns about crypto businesses' ability to comply with anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism funding laws. For what it's worth, the inquiry's chair, Senator Andrew Bragg, seemed receptive to the plights of Bitcoin Babe and Oz Merchant. Bragg posted a statement on his website saying, quote, the reasons given by the banks are opaque and are very, very vague about why they are ceasing their services. He added, we do not tell banks who to bank in Australia, but it's not a blank check for banks to stifle Australian innovation, end quote. And now the Senate committee will begin producing a report with recommendations before October 30th. And that's your lot. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode, but we realise there's only so much we can squeeze into just one episode. So if you want more of the stories that matter, then check out Protoss.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Protoss podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast provider for more weekly roundups. We'll be back next week. See you then.